video games. This is a show about them. Welcome to episode six of the So Video Games podcast. We are recording on November 13th, 2016. On the show, we discuss any games, old, new, recent releases, backlog, whatever. If we're playing it, we're going to be talking about it. My name is Corey Motley, and I am 50% of the show. I'm also taking over intro duties this week because I'm pretending that I was feeling self-conscious and left out, and I don't want to let Brad have all the fun every week, right? And speaking of Brad, he is the other 50% of the show. Brad, how are you doing? Hey, Corey, it's good to be back with you. And uh, truth be told, I've been I've been better, man. Although uh, this isn't a political show by any means, and I do know that a lot of listeners don't want to go there, which I, I respect... Uh, you know, truth be told, we don't podcast in a vacuum, and it would be kind of impossible to do the show and not even mention the recent election here in the United States. Uh, I don't know about you, but it was a massive blow to me to see that the Donald, quote-unquote, won the election. And I those quotes are there intentionally, since I feel like there are a lot of things that kind of uh, throw the validity of the result into question for me. But, uh, you know, what happened, happened. And it's been kind of a hard week, man. I mean, I could probably talk for a couple hours about this topic, but I know that is not at all why people are tuning in. So um, I get that. But I just wanted to kind of formally, you know, log that for posterity. Uh, That said, before we get off of the topic, uh, I think you have a few words to say on it, don't you, Corey? Yeah. um, Like you said, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this either because this certainly is not what the show is about. But uh... I just want to give my two cents real quick and then we can move on. Uh, I, uh, ever since like basically the day after the election, I haven't really been on social media a ton. Like I've been kind of posting a little bit here and there, but right now social media is just a little bit insufferable to me. Um, but that's a little bit beside the point. But most of the times I've been checking Facebook every, like basically the day after the election and on, there were just a bunch of people posting like three or four paragraph long statuses about how they're disappointed in the United States and how, um, you know, they wanted to let everybody know that they were supporting more like the Democratic side and they wanted to be there for people of color and women and the LGBT community. And uh, I don't want to say that's not the right thing to do because I, I mean, as a gay man, seeing people, you know, saying that they're supportive of me and supportive of other minorities is great. I mean, I had a, I was pretty emotional on election night, um, you know, just from seeing how awful people are and seeing how great people are at the same time, just kind of coming together. But um, I decided that on election night, as the results were rolling in and, um, you know, I was kind of seeing that uh, Hillary was not going to win. um, One of the first things I did was open the computer and got uh, got on Google and just searched for LGBTQ resource groups in Omaha. And I'm from Omaha, as listeners might know. and I found there's a group here called PFLAG, and I hadn't heard of PFLAG before, but I believe it stands for Parents, Family, and Friends of Lesbian and Gay People. And I, uh, I decided, okay, I'm going to go to one of these meetings. Like, I mean, being gay, it seems like a good, you know, kind of square one starting point um, for a place to go. So I went to, they have monthly meetings, and I went to my first PFLAG meeting. Um, they just happened to be having it like two days after the election, which was pretty timely. And as I suspected, a bunch of people showed up. Uh, They said that it was one of the biggest turnouts they'd had. There were about 50 to 60 people there, uh, roughly. And and I think we were all kind of there, a bunch of first-timers 
for the same reason, you know, the election was pretty surprising and we wanted to just, you know, show up and make sure that we were um, there for each other. And uh, I can't talk a lot about PFLAG because the meetings are actually confidential, which I didn't know until I got there. But uh, it was just nice. Like It's kind of like a support group where we just uh, divided into four groups and we kind of went around the table and each of us told our stories. And, you know, it was straight people. It was gay people, uh, transgender people, um, a lot of straight people who had, um, you know, LGBT within their family and friends. And we just kind of uh, each told our stories. And it just felt really nice being just being there for each other, a whole room of strangers, people I had never met before that I never knew. And you know, we just told our stories and, you know, we laughed and cried together and it sounds really, you know, kind of cheesy, but it was just really beautiful. And as much as I like seeing people saying that they're there for, for people, uh, for minorities and people of color and whatever, um, I think it's so much better to just try to get out and do something rather than just taking five minutes to write, you know, a couple paragraphs on your Facebook page to say that you're there for each other. And I know that sounds kind of aggressive, but I mean, to be honest, we're like in the middle of a civil rights movement in the United States right now. And I know that people of color and women of color and women probably have it worse than anybody right now. And so, I mean, if you're thinking about doing anything, I mean, I wouldn't hesitate to just get on the computer and look up, um, you know, black culture centers in your area or um, the same thing I did at LGBT centers in your area. And if you're at all thinking about it... um, you know, just show up for some kind of meeting or something or try to volunteer or donate money and, you know, see what you can do rather than just taking, you know, five minutes to write on your Facebook page. Uh, That's just sort of the way I feel about it. Um, What do you think, Brad? Yeah, man. Um, It is funny you say that because I do actually think that like out of nowhere, I mean, not out of nowhere, but like, but like kind of overnight, that civil rights movement um, for, for many people just kind of like went from kind of being in the background or something that just kind of happened to other people to like being in everybody's face. I mean, it's certainly in my face. I mean, a lot of people that I know and love are directly affected and just the things that happened with, with that one night, I mean, within the span of 24 hours, like I feel like the whole world changed. Uh, So that's, it's crazy and it's sad and it's disappointing. And I do agree that, uh, you know, messenger messages are great, and I think it's important to speak your mind and to get out there and be vocal about what you feel. But but taking action is also really important. Uh, there's been a lot of peaceful protests going on, which I think is great. But there is also a lot of work that's going to need to get done in the next couple of years uh, to get the country back on its correct course. Um, we're going to be doing things here in my family. We're going to be looking at places we can go, and we're going to try to meet people, and we're going to be out there and be seen and be present for people. So. Oh, man, it's it's a really, really crazy time. Um, but that said, we said at the top of the show, this isn't a political podcast. It's very true. And in the middle of all this uh, struggle and depression, a lot of depression, <laughs> uh, people are going to need a little bit of joy in their lives to keep them going every day. And I think that's part of what we're here for. Um, I think that uh, bringing a smile to people's face uh, is, is, is somewhat valuable. So... Corey, uh, we're going to leave politics behind. I think it might be talked about uh, time to talk about some video games. What do you think, man? Uh, I think so. Um, but also, audience, before we get started, I just want to let everybody know that, as usual, we say this in every episode, um, we invite you to give us any comments, any questions, any feedback of any kind. Um, we would love to do listener questions if anybody has any questions for us. Um, you can reach us at so video games podcast at gmail.com and we are on Twitter at so video games. So if you guys have any uh, 
any questions or any comments or anything about us, uh, we are definitely happy to listen and um, and to respond and you know what have you. So um, I think that's all the disclaimers I have. Um, Brad, I don't know what you've been up to this week, so tell me about what you've been playing. So Farming Simulator 17. Um, never thought I'd be playing a farming sim game ever. Don't really know a lot or have a lot of feelings about farming. I mean, I like food. <laughs> I appreciate that there's someone out in the world like making my food. Like that's awesome. Like two snaps to you, Mr. or Mrs. Farmer, wherever you are, because I, I like eating. And I'm not big on simulator games in general. I mean, you know, maybe here and there I'll, I'll like a, something. But I'm not like a sim guy, not a farm guy. Uh, but we got sent a code for Farming Simulator 17. And I'm going to be honest with you, uh, you know, being the editor of GameCritics.com, part of my responsibility is to get these review codes in the hands of people who are going to review them. And it may come as a surprise to you, but nobody wanted to step up for Farming Simulator 17. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, fuck. All right, I'll take one for the team. I'm going to start playing this. We'll see how it goes. Uh, before going on, let me just give you the details. It's created by Giants, published by Focus Home Interactive, who are kind of a lesser-known publisher, but they have actually put out quite a few things which are kind of... Um, broken or flawed but they have a lot of good ideas going for them whoever picks games at focus has a pretty good eye i kind of like what they're doing even though they don't get a lot of spotlight and farming simulator 17 was released uh this october october 2016 it's available on pc xbox one and ps4 i'm playing it on ps4 right now so like the game says it's farming simulator <laughs> I, I i started the game and the tutorial was kind of okay. Like, I feel like it was a little bit on the light side, which is fine. I mean, I don't want to dive headfirst into a ton of micromanagement in detail, like, as your very first step. So basically, they're like, here's a tractor, get in the tractor. It takes place from a first-person perspective when you're walking around. But when you get inside a vehicle, and you've got several vehicles, uh, you go inside that, and it becomes kind of a third-person perspective, so you can steer more effectively, drive your tractor around and stuff like that. It would be pretty difficult to do it first-person, I think. Um... So the game starts, and it's like, here's a tractor, and there's this thing attached to your tractor to this thing, and I'm like, what's this thing? I don't understand what this is. Turns out it's a weight. I guess tractors have big weights that are attached to them on the front because they're carrying heavy stuff on the back. So I learned something right off the bat. That's good. Educational. So I attached a weight to my tractor, and then I attached a variety of, like, I don't even know what you even call them. Like, tillers or hoers or scrapers. Hoers. or. I, I don't even know, dude. Like, it looked like I was doing some hoeing, and I'm like, I guess that's what you call it these days. I don't know. But there's a whole bunch of uh, equipment and attachments and trailers with things on them and hoses and all blades and all kinds of stuff. Interestingly, um, every single piece of equipment in the game is real. So I, I, you know, I'm not very up on my farm equipment. Didn't know a lot about that stuff. But apparently it's all legit real farming equipment made by the real manufacturers i mean i guess you could kind of think of this as like you know like the gran turismo of farming simulators where all the cars are like lovingly modeled down to like every last little detail you can turn on the headlights they've got a little horn and all the parts move and stuff so that was kind of cool but once i got a hold of the controls i gotta say it kind of started being pretty fun where it was like okay well we want you to go to this field and like turn the, the soil over to 
I don't know, make it fresh or something or aerate it or I don't know what we're doing exactly, but so you just drive and your, your tractor, you drive in a straight line, you get to the end of the row, you turn around, you do a straight line coming back and like you make the field look all pretty. And I'm like, oh, that was pretty cool. That's kind of satisfying. I mean, keep in mind, this was in the midst of when all this election stuff was going on. So my tension level was pretty high and doing something that was really laid back and chill, you know, no, nobody shooting at me, no timers, no pressure. If I drove crooked on the field, nobody was going to come yell at me. Didn't have to do it over. I could just do whatever I wanted. And so that was pretty cool. Like a very, very zen, kind of relaxing. And after a little while, they take you to do some different fields, use some different tractors. You get the, the, the hang of what's going on. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is, this is good. This is good. This is not bad. Like I'm driving, spreading seeds, feels kind of nice. Watering, that's fun. Uh, and then it was all good. So once I completed the tutorial, I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I thought I was not going to play this, but maybe I'm going to play this because this, this, is, this is interesting. And as soon as you finish the tutorial, that's it. They drop you in headfirst to the entire rest of the game. And let me tell you, this is a really fucking in-depth and huge game. There's like spreadsheets and spreadsheets and spreadsheets. There's all sorts of details that I didn't know fuck all about. Once the tutorial was over, I was like, well, wait a minute. I actually don't really know what the process of farming is. So now that nobody's telling me what to do, I don't know what to do. Like I have, I have like four fields and I'm like, well, what am I supposed to plant? Like how, what's the first step in, in getting this field ready? Can I just plant? Do I need to do the, the tilling thing again? What, when does the fertilizer come in? Which kind do I need? I don't know. I don't know anything. Please someone help me. And like, I had no fucking clue what was going on and i was like oh man i mean it started out cool and it was surprisingly appealing but like once they took away the help i was lost and there's some tutorials they're not great and i'm not the kind of guy that jumps on a wiki to figure out things that like if your game doesn't teach me i don't want to know so maybe they are pitching this towards people who already know farming or people who have played the previous games but i felt like I needed like a farming for dummies mode in here where like, like, like dudes pretend I don't know anything about farming because I don't. So like, how about you lead me through like every step of the process and just help. So uh, I didn't get too much further after that. I just was floundering and I, I didn't know what to do and I didn't have any direction. So started out real good. And maybe if I was a different kind of gamer who was more willing to like dig in and really discover things and work hard at learning systems, maybe I would get into it, but that's not me. And that's not what I'm down for. So that was the end of my farming career. Corey, have you ever played Farming Simulator 17, 16, 15? Uh, any of them? Any interest? Are you a farmer? No. I haven't played any of them. I think I know they exist. But I'm going to assume that the tutorial is not very in-depth because if somebody has already played 16 of these games, they probably don't need to relearn how to play it on the 17th one. <laughs> <laughs> totally, man. I Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. But at the same time, I mean, you have to kind of hope that you're going to get new customers, right? And if they haven't played the last 16 games, I mean, you got to reach out to those people because that's me. Because, like, I could have been a new farmer, a prospective farmer. Like, if it had done a better <laughs> job of, like, like drawing me in, like, I could have seen myself putting some time into it. Maybe, you know, maybe I wouldn't go through 20 seasons of wheat harvesting, but, like, it was kind of fun when I was just doing the tractor and stuff. Like, that part was okay. I just, I just didn't know what to do, man. So I don't know. Maybe they should do like a gardening simulator first to teach you like how to do like the soil and the planting and then like move it full scale to farming, like full on farming after that. Yeah. Or maybe just like a button where it's like, 
I don't know what to do. Push circle, and like they will tell you like a suggestion or something. That would be really good. <laughs> like because all I needed was like a little bit of a just a little bit of a more direction. You know, like I just you you put somebody in front of like eight fields and you got six different tractors and you have like twenty four different seeds and I'm like I don't I don't know what to do. I just don't. But you can you like fail or is it just like something you just like do that's like therapeutic? Like, I'm not sure because there's money in the game. Like, there's a lot of spreadsheets and a lot of it is like tractors devalue over time and tractors need to be repaired. And then you need to get like a loan from the bank to get more equipment. And then you got to pay back the money so you can buy seeds and then you hire people to work on your farm. And there's like all this other stuff that goes into it. So I guess that you could run out of money. I don't know how easy it is to run out of money. I don't know how easy it is to make money. Like, I just I just didn't know, you know, like and. And if I went to the tractor store and there's like 12 different tractors and I got no idea which one is which. Like, I already got like six. Why do I need a new one? And out of these 12, which one is the one that's right for me? Like, I like the red one. It was pretty cute. But like, I, is it going to get the job done? I don't know. Also, what's my job? I don't know. Like, I, <laughs> you know, it was it's like there's a lot of work that went into this. I see that there's a lot of content. There's a lot of systems. But like, I just I didn't farming something i have no internal logic about i don't know any systems and so i just needed i needed way more handholding than i got which was kind of a bummer so anyway my farming career it was it was short-lived i'm sorry to hear that well if you're if you're listening to this and you like farming if you know farming if you played farming simulator 16 i mean it seems cool like it seems like a high quality product i just don't know enough about it so if that doesn't scare you away check it out because otherwise you know i mean I was interested. I just needed more info. So, anyway, that's enough about farming, 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 farming. Fuck farming. Corey, your turn, buddy. All right. So, Dishonored 2, that's what I've been playing, which is the biggest game that's come out in the past week, probably, maybe. Um, that sounds that sounds correct, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and to be honest, it's probably the last game this year probably that i'm like really really looking forward to um it is made by arcane who i'm pretty sure the only games arcane have made is dishonored one and dishonored two i'm like pretty sure uh bethesda published it it just as i said just came out on friday um and i am about three to four hours into it i have played three missions so far um the intro mission and then the first like real mission and then the second one um i just finished the third mission before the podcast because i basically woke up early this morning and that's like all i've been doing is playing dishonor all day um one thing that i can say about it the first thing that really kind of caught my attention is it's one of those sequels that's basically just more dishonored one um which is fine that's kind of how uh, Deus Ex Mankind Divided was this year also. It's basically just like Deus Ex Human Revolution, but more of it and like a little bit more refined and obviously like more nice looking. That's kind of how Dishonored 2 is, which on one hand I think is great because I wouldn't want them to like make a different kind of game. But on the other hand, it's kind of disappointing because you put it in and you're like, oh, I've already done all this before. Like there's not really anything new going on. Um, but it's good. I mean, things that, cause I really like Dishonored. I know we've talked about it before on the show, but, uh, so far the things that I like about Dishonored 2 and the things that I don't like are pretty much all the same as the things that I like and don't like about Dishonored, uh, one, but in the new one, you start, 
you have the choice to play as Corvo, who's the protagonist from the first game, or you can play as Emily, who is like the the empress that you rescue at the end of the first one. So I actually think that's really cool because I can't even remember the last game I played that has like two distinct characters to pick from at the beginning and you're not allowed to like switch between them. Um, I mean, the last game I can think of off the top of my head is probably like Resident Evil 2, which came out like forever ago. Um, But I picked Emily and I feel like everybody's playing as Emily. I don't know anybody that's playing as Corvo again. Um, But I like it because they both have their own unique powers uh, because the outsider from the first game gives them like the mark on their hand and they have their own powers and i don't know how i don't know if his powers are all the same as the first game because i'm not playing as uh as him but her powers are new she has like the because corvo has the blink power we can teleport she has a power that's very similar where it kind of like sticks like a tentacle out and like pulls her to a surface so it's almost the same um and she's got like a power called domino which is pretty neat where you can like link two enemies or two npcs together and anything you do to one of them happens to the other one so if you like shoot one with the sleeping dart the other guy passes out too which is i haven't bought it yet but it's pretty handy um or it seems handy i guess but i guess i'm kind of off on a tangent the things that i really like about dishonored is i like that it's stealthy i like that you can play it any way you want um it reminds me a lot of deus ex because you can you know you can crawl through vents you can go up high you can totally avoid any and all enemies if you want to or if you're feeling aggressive you can just use your gun and your crossbow and your sword and like murder everybody in the area if you want to um i really like that it's player paced i don't like games that uh try to like hurry you along and uh try to make you go faster than you want to um because I spent, in the second mission, I spent probably an hour and a half or two hours playing it. And I'm sure that if uh, you really want to, you could probably beat it in like 15 or 20 minutes if you're like speedrunning or something. Um, I also like that it makes me think about what what's going on because I'm always like alert and I have to move slow and like look around corners and use my little like see-through walls power. Because I try to be, I'm kind of a ghost player, so I try to be as subtly as subtly as possible and i also don't kill anyone or at least i'm not yet i'll probably kill people on the second playthrough but the things that i don't like about it and these are all the same things from dishonored one that i don't like about it because i'm such a ghost player i am say it's one of those games where you save and reload like like literally every room i walk into i will save the game and i usually i'll fuck something up in that room so i'll have to reload it and I, I like I'm not one of those like fly by the seat of my pants gamers on the first playthrough with a game like this like I have to be perfect and like not kill anybody and not be seen by anybody so I have been saving and reloading like a motherfucker like every like 30 seconds I save the game and usually if it's something kind of weird or if something goes down like I got to a section earlier and I had to reload my save from the exact same spot like nine or ten times because I kept fucking this one part up and I know that's not really something you can avoid when you're making a stealthy game. Also, it just kind of depends on the kind of player that's playing it. But it's just fucking annoying. Like, when I have to keep reloading the game, I was getting really annoyed earlier. But it's kind of my fault because, um, I don't know, maybe I'm not being careful enough or something. Uh, Interesting point. Let me ask you something before we go further with this. Yeah. Um, because I'm definitely kind of like a save and reload kind of guy. Although, it really depends on the game. Now, I did play Dishonored 1. Um, I was not a big fan of it. And I think probably the biggest reason I was not a fan of it was because I felt like the stealth was very difficult for me. Now, I, I play plenty of stealthy games. Like, I'd like stealth games just fine. 
But I remember in Dishonored 1, I was I got seen like a lot and I had a really difficult time just being as quiet as I wanted to be. And I think part of that was the first person perspective and part of it just just the way the game was constructed. I know the game has a lot of fans. A lot of people really love Dishonored. Um, but it just it just never felt correct to me. Now, do you feel like when you're playing Dishonored 2, uh, I hear you about the saving and reloading. I mean, I do that myself. But do you feel like is it because you're just not paying attention the first time or you just is it something that you're not able to avoid until you know it's there or are you just making poor decisions or like what makes you what do you feel like is making you reload so much like what where's your where's the, the trouble point here i think it's kind of a combination of all the things you just said because sometimes it's because i'm not being careful because if i'm like on a roll and i'm doing well i will totally like walk out into a room and not realize there's an enemy there and he'll see me and i will just immediately pause the game and reload whatever my last save was but sometimes it's because i don't like i don't know what to do or sometimes it's because they're like earlier in the game the part that i had to reload like 10 times there like you walk into a little hallway and there's like a guy in a room on the left and you you're supposed to talk to him to get some information from him and he's like a prisoner he's like a sick prisoner and there's like two enemies in the hallway and they have a brief conversation about the prisoner and the first time i went in i like snuck into a room on the left and i waited to, for the two enemies to finish uh their conversation to see what was going to happen and after they finish the conversation, one of the soldiers goes into the room and she talks to the prisoner for like five seconds and then shoots him. And I was like, well, fuck, like, I don't want him to die. And if he dies, that's fine. It's not like game over or anything. But so I like reloaded. And every time I went in there, it was such a short time frame from them finishing their conversation to her walking in there and shooting him that I was just getting really frustrated because I couldn't figure out how to best do it uh, without getting seen. Cause I don't, I could have done an NBC. I could have just like shot them both with a sleeping dart, but I want to ghost the whole thing. I don't want to be seen by any enemies, which is probably going to go like tits up at some point in the future anyway. And maybe it'll be unavoidable in the future, but I want to try to like wrangle it in while I can. But sometimes, uh, I don't know. Like I haven't gotten to a part that's so difficult that I've had to give up. I like after saving and reloading a bunch of times, but I have just saved and reloaded a bunch of times until I figure something out. And I think that the part I just described has been the hardest part. Um, does that answer your question pretty well? Yeah, I think so. Um, I guess I have a couple follow-up questions. I mean, so number one, um, what happens if something goes wrong? Like if you get seen it, I don't recall how they handle that in Dishonored number one. It's like, you just have to run away like, do people reset or do they constantly remember that you're there? Like, is it just are they on permanent alert or do they, you know, go back to being um, passive after a while? Or how does how does that resolve? I think they are on a very short alert time span. Like, I, I actually probably can't answer this question super well because every time I get seen, I just immediately reload the game. So I don't like. No, oh, true. Yeah, true. I don't like run yeah. from them. But I, I mean, one thing about the game that I haven't said yet that. Uh, actually is pretty difficult that kind of trips me up is I feel like the enemies I, I'm playing on medium difficulty um, there's four difficulty levels there's like easy medium hard very hard I'm playing on medium and the enemies see you or, or they become like alert maybe that's the wrong word to say they, they see you very quickly but in the first game and this carries into the second game too there's like a little lightning bolt that appears above the enemy's head and it fills up as they become aware of you and if it fills up all the way then they will start like running after you and attacking you but in this game i feel like they see me very quickly and one other thing is like even if the alert meter doesn't fill all the way up and they don't go on high alert 
they will like walk over to inspect which is a normal thing to do but i feel like it happens very quickly like they can see me for like one second and that's it and it probably takes like three seconds for the gauge to fill up if they're looking at you they can see me for like one second and they immediately get up and like leave their post and come over and look around which sometimes works to your advantage because i can just wait for them to turn back and go to where they came from and then choke them out but if there's other enemies in the area i can't do that but i feel like they're a lot more alert this time around but i do think that if they see you and you run away if you hide well enough they just look for you for a couple minutes and then return to their posts as far as i know all right so one other question i want to ask you something that really 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 bothered me a lot about the first dishonored and i don't hear a lot of people talking about it uh, i don't know how many people felt the way that i did but um if you recall in the first dishonored uh the areas were broken up i felt like the, there was a lot of loading like i felt like you couldn't just explore the whole city and like you would often be like in one area you go through the area, you get to like a door, you got to load to go to the next area. Like I felt like it broke up the city in a really awkward way. Like I never really felt like I was freely exploring the city. I always felt like you're just in this small zone. So uh, the other part that kind of goes along with that was I never felt like there was a place in the city where you could walk unmolested. Like, for example, um, like in Hitman, like if you're walking around in Hitman, if you're not detected and you're not wearing weird clothes, you can often just walk around and people will just not question you or you can, you know, take in the scenery a little bit, get a little bit of a breather. Uh, in Dishonored 1, you could not do that. You were constantly under attack by everybody uh, when you were in the city. Anywhere outside of your home base, you were always under attack and it, it got fucking exhausting. And so the combination of constantly having to hide and run all the time coupled with a city that was broken up by loading zones or, you know, loading screens or whatever, it just was really unpleasant to play. How is that handled in Dishonored 2? Well, the good news is, um, as far as the like hostile area versus non-hostile area, the game actually does handle it a little bit better this time around, because so far, um, I've only been in one like city hub type area, which I guess it's... City hub's probably not the right word, because I don't think... I'm not sure if you return to it or not yet, but when you start the mission, there's like a little... Um, thing that flashes on the top of the screen and it says like neutral zone or something like that so you know you can just walk around and do whatever you want and nobody will you know be alert unless you like kill someone or do something crazy and then if you get to a hostile zone the little like thing will flash up and it'll say that it'll say like hostile territory or something like that which i think is great because that's one problem i had with the first game and a little bit with this one is in certain areas i have no idea because i'm always trying to hide if i don't know if somebody's going to attack me or not like i was in like a like a shop earlier in the game and there was like a clerk at the counter and i had come in through like the ceiling and the back door like some crazy way to get in i did not walk in the front door and and like i was crouched in the back corner and i was like well shit is this guy gonna attack me when he sees me or can i go up and talk to him or can i buy something and luckily he didn't attack me but the game doesn't do a very good job of letting you know like individual people but at least uh it tells you if you're in a neutral or hostile zone but the thing that i don't like about the neutral hostile zone thing is that once it flashes on the top of the screen to my knowledge you it, like it goes away and you can't like hit the pause button and see if you're still in a neutral or hostile zone because sometimes you do a lot of exploring and it's possible to get out of one of the zones and i, I often i will sometimes forget if i'm in it or not and i wish that there were like a constant little like like in hitman if you're in an area you're not supposed to be in the little map has dots around it and it says trespassing above it but 
uh, so you always know if you're in a good or bad zone. But Dishonored, it just tells you, like, once, and then you just have to remember. And maybe that's bad on me for not remembering, but I don't feel like... Uh, I wish it had, like, a constant on-screen reminder to let me know, and it doesn't, not that I know of so far. Gotcha. What about the loading, though? Like, is it still broken up in a really small zones? Or like, Because I remember in, in the first Dishonored, there was this one section... I was inside a house and there were dogs and guards and it was like at one end of the house I was in one zone but you would walk forward and then like it would have to load and you would like like in the middle of the house there was like a loading zone and it really felt really constrained to me like how is it how is it in this one is it better are the areas bigger yeah so far the areas are bigger I mean it still does the thing where if you go far enough you have to load and it it brings up the little menu like it does in the first one and says like do you want to go here or do you want to stay where you are but so far the areas are way bigger like the first like real mission of the game after the intro mission is just kind of like a big city like as like the city had an area and i don't think i had to load at all i don't think until i left that area to go to the next mission and the other cool thing so far about this game is like in the first game you returned to the hounds pits pub every time a mission was over so it kind of got repetitive because you like finished a mission and then you went back to the pub and then you finished a mission and you went back to the pub and so far in this game the the home base is like a ship it's not like an island so i did the intro mission and then you go to the ship and then i did two missions in a row without going back to the ship and just went back to the ship for the first time so it seems to be paced a little bit better to where you're not constantly going back to the ship for like lame downtime between missions but i'm also only like three in so i can't confirm or deny if you go back to the ship a bunch later but uh so far it's like just kind of one mission after another gotcha gotcha well you know um i guess this is kind of a a, an impossible question to answer but i'm going to ask it anyway uh you know like i've said several times i liked i liked some aspects of the first dishonored but i just overall didn't care for it very much do you think uh, I know you said this is basically the same thing again, but do you think there's been enough changes or do you feel like it's different enough that someone like me who maybe wasn't in love with the first Dishonored might want to check it out? Or is it or is it one of those cases where uh, if you didn't like the first one, it's not different enough to make you to like this one? Yeah, I feel like if you did not like the first one, the second one's probably not going to change your mind. Um, but if people are were like neutral on the first one, I would definitely say to go ahead and give the second one a try because it's just like a more refined sequel. But yeah, if you did not like the first one, I don't think Dishonored 2 is going to like pull you in or then make you think it's better because it's basically just the exact same game again, pretty much. Like there's not really a whole lot of innovation to be found so far, at least. I mean, I'm only like three to four hours in, but it feels very safe to me so far. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Well, I guess my only other question is, you mentioned that the the female character has that tentacle that she uses to pull herself all over the place. I mean, the obvious question, I think, is what else can she do with that tentacle? Uh, she can grab things and bring them to her, but you have to buy, like, an upgrade for it. But it's kind of neat because I bought... Um, there's one upgrade that lets her pull items to her and grab them, and there's one that lets her pull, like, enemies and people to her. And I bought the first upgrade, and there's, like, a section where there's a dude like an overseer like giving a big speech to a crowd and there's a rune on a table in front of him and i was like well shit i'm not going to be able to go get the rune because i'm going to be seen by everybody and they're going to start attacking me but i just bought the item grabbing upgrade and i just stood on a balcony above him and just shot the tentacle out and grabbed the room and the rune and brought it to me and no one was the wiser it was pretty awesome 
That's cool. And I also salute you for answering that question in a serious way, because I was prepared for all sorts of different responses to that. Yeah, I was wondering if you were going down that road, but I reeled it back in for us. (laughs) Oh, what a nice guy. What a nice guy. (laughs) All right, I'm tapped out. Anything else we need to know about Dishonored 2? (laughs) Um, I guess the only other thing I haven't said yet that is quick is... uh, uh, the first game took a lot of flack because it had a silent protagonist. Corvo did not talk for the whole game, which I didn't really care about that much. But I feel like... Oh, I hate that. Hate it. Well, hate it. the good news is that they the protagonists talk now. But the bad news is I feel like they're like overcompensating a little bit for the fact that nobody talked in the first game. Because even though I'm playing as Emily, she I feel like she says stuff when i just kind of wish that she wouldn't and i'm sure that if you're playing as corvo he does the same thing like sometimes you'll walk into a room and she'll be like blah 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 here's a line of dialogue about this room or like you'll take you can steal paintings and she'll be like oh let me give you like a little like thing about the person that's painting and i'm just like emily like i don't care just like like don't (laughs) like don't talk it sounds so rude for me to say that but I feel like they're just overcompensating a little bit. And it also bothers me that they got a new voice actor for her. Because in the first game, an actress named Chloe Grace Moretz, who has been in a bunch of stuff, and I'm not going to be able to name anything off the top of my head. Um, yeah, but she's like a Hollywood actress. Yeah. Right? She's been in like movies and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. She voiced Emily in the first game, and I really wish they could have gotten her back for the second one, but they didn't. But the woman who voices... Uh, Emily is good. I mean, she's not a bad voice actress by any means. I just think she's a little bit overwritten. But I do think that the guy, I don't know his name, that they got to do Corvo is really boring because he's very, like, his voice actor is just, like, oh, like, low, grumbly, whispery Batman. And it just sounds, like, so fucking boring. It's like, all right, here's, like, the 150,000th, like, dark-haired, bearded, white protagonist who sounds like a gravel machine. And I just wish that they would have gotten someone different to voice him, but... I mean, it is what it is. What do you do? Yeah, that's like totally like the lowest common denominator when it comes to gaming and stuff. If you have like some gruff white guy, you're covering like a large chunk of your audience no matter what. So Yeah, and they also got a new voice actor for The Outsider. And I really, really liked The Outsider's voice in the first game. He, had, I don't know. I can't remember his name, but he has like the sexiest voice ever. And they have a new voice actor in this game for him. And he, he sounds like like a kid like he sounds like he's like 18 or something and it's so annoying because the first guy had a great voice and the new one doesn't so they need to get it together i don't know what bethesda is doing like they got good voice actors for the first game and i don't know how they didn't keep them around for the second game maybe because they're all on strike for the voice acting thing right now or something oh you know that's true that voice acting thing is going on maybe well i don't know but that it seems like this stuff would have been recorded before the strike yeah i mean thinking about how long it takes games to come together but who knows? That's a shame. That's a shame. Good voice acting is great. It can really make a game excellent, and it's it's sad as here that uh, that's not as good. So bummer. Yeah. Well, that's probably um, I don't know all I have to say about Dishonored. I feel like I just talked a lot about it and didn't really say a whole lot. But um, that's probably it. So what else have you been playing? Um, what else have I been playing? Okay, okay, okay. So The Walking Dead, No Man's Land. Created by Next Games, released in October 2015, so we're going back a little bit. And, shocker of shockers, it's, I think, only available on iOS, which is something that you don't hear come out of my mouth very often. Uh, And truth be told, I don't even know how I found this game. I think I was going to the App Store 
I don't even know what I would even have been doing there because I don't really check out a lot of mobile games and I don't go to the app store very often. And I, I wish it seems like I had a reason, but I was in the app store one day for some reason. And I think I just saw it as one of the featured and I'm like, oh, well, this looks like it's okay. And, you know, um, I don't know that I've really covered it here on the show, but I play a lot of Marvel Puzzle Quest. And I think that people who follow me probably know that I talk about it on Twitter fairly often and. I've talked about it on the Game Critics podcast before. I actually just wrote an article for Pace Magazine, which lists every single character in Marvel Puzzle Quest, and they're they're up to uh, 115. Let me tell you, just like a side side tangent here, that was actually a pretty pretty good amount of work, because I mean, taking pictures for 115 characters, writing like little descriptions for each one, and then taking into account how they all stack in terms of like you know and there's different criteria like if you're a, a seasoned player you will, you look at them one way if you're a new player you look at them a different way it took quite a bit of effort and uh ever since i published that article i've had nothing but grief from everybody who's read that article because every single person thinks i did it wrong which is fine except that everybody thinks i did it wrong in a different way <laughs> like one person will say oh you had cyclops as number five and that's stupid you should have had him at number two and then somebody will say what the hell is cyclops doing number five he should be number ten and it's like like nobody can agree, right? I mean, the only thing they agree on is that I fucked up and did it wrong, but nobody can agree on like what the proper way is, right? So it just all depends on who you like, how you play, what good teams you have. And, oh, you know, I don't regret writing that article because it was a lot of fun and I don't like to turn down paid work. I mean, that is going to buy my son a pretty cool Christmas present this year because I needed the extra cash. But, dude, like, oh, the flack from that article bullshit it's really bullshit anyway <laughs> we're not here to talk about marvel puzzle quest but we you know just as a side note you can't make everybody happy at all so that's just whatever anyway getting back to walking dead no man's land downloaded it off the app store for some random reason i can't remember why and i i needed something to play in between marvel puzzle quest sessions uh, as anybody knows who's ever played a free-to-play game it's pretty rare that you can play a free-to-play game as much as you want. Most of the time they have like timers or they have cooldowns or they have energy or some kind of mechanic that makes you stop after a while. And if you want to keep playing, they usually ask you for a buck or two. Uh, you know, I- I'm sure we've all been been uh, witness to these mechanics. Uh, Puzzle Quest is pretty generous in that regard, but th- it does have its limits. And after a while, you got to stop and play something else unless you want to pony up. And, and so I was like, well, I'll have, a, I'll have a B game. I'll have something else to play when I'm when I'm not playing Puzzle Quest. And so this looked all right. I'm generally a fan of The Walking Dead. I liked the comic book a lot. I got to about the first hundred issues, and then I stopped. And I generally like the TV show. Not the, the best show on TV, but I you know I got invested in it for a while, and I like the characters. I'm a little bit behind right now. I'm about one season behind, so I'm not caught up. But I'm like, okay, well, Walking Dead, I like the license. You know, I need another mobile game. Let's check it out. Full disclosure, it is... It is for sure, a free-to-play game in every aspect of that phrase. I mean, there are, like, different currencies, there are timers, there's cooldowns, you know, there's all that shit that you see in the regular free-to-play game. And initially, I was like, ah, God, this looks like bullshit, you know, I don't know about this. (laughs) But I I, I was like, well, whatever, I got it, let's just try it. And what it is, is it's, it's two sections. In one section, you have a little encampment. You, you've, you've erected a wall around this little base. There's like a bunch of wrecked cars form the outside wall of your, your area. You have like a mobile home. You've got a couple tents. You've got a couple survivors walking around. And this is your base. There's like a training area. There's like a, an armory, a little patch of land you can grow tomatoes on. So that's like your base. So part of the game is getting enough resources to like build your base. You can clear more land. 
to have a bigger base. You can increase your structures. I mean, it's pretty pretty standard what you would expect from free to play. But the part that makes it good is that it's almost like XCOM in a way when it comes to the strategy part of what you do. Like the, the, the base building is pretty passive. But when you need to go and get resources, there are these missions you can go on. And so you take a team of up to three survivors uh, and you just go on these like totally like XCOM style missions. You have a bunch of randos which are like randomly generated. Like it's like Pete and Stacy and Marvin and all these guys that are generated. And so you have like, uh, you know, whatever, noobs. But then also you can also find like the, the people from the TV show. So I have like Daryl Dixon on my team and I have Glenn. Uh, and, you know, so you see these faces and they actually look a lot like their TV personas. They use the actual voice actors, too, which is pretty cool. Gave it like a little bit of cred. But the XCOM portion is actually really good. I was really surprised. It's small enough that you can play it on an iPhone. I'm playing on iPhone 6, but and it's small. I mean, it's definitely small. You can play it on iPad, something or the uh, the extra large iPhone would be even better. But you take three people, you go into a top down area. Usually it's like a wrecked house or a wrecked car or a parking lot or something like that. And most times you have to like find some supplies. So like you'll start at one end of the map. Uh, Daryl's got his crossbow. Somebody's got a knife. One guy's got like some uh, riot gear and a club. And so you just walk through turn base. So like all your survivors go. And then after your survivors are done, then zombies take their turn. And it's not super deep, but it's deep enough to where it feels satisfying when you play. Like you can walk a little bit and then keep some energy in reserve. So that if someone comes that you don't see or someone pops around a corner that you can like you know kind of like be in an overwatch status where you can strike first if someone approaches you or you can forfeit that if you want to walk further or you can stay close to your teammates and kind of give them you know give some protection and it just it feels nice to do a couple really quick missions and get that little strategy uh bite bite size strategy down and then when you're done you just put it away and just move on with your day and the free-to-play parts are not really that much of a deterrent because I don't play iPhone like a lot. Like I don't sit down and play the iPhone for two hours. So it's like, I'm usually like at work, I'm in line, I'm somewhere where I just have five minutes to fill. And so getting like one of those missions in, oh, hey, I got some gasoline. Oh, hey, I found some canned food or something. And then like, you just, you know, you start your timers or whatever and you go about your day. You go back to work, you go back to doing whatever you're doing. By the time you come back to it, the, the timers are over and you're good to go. So I feel like it's kind of a good balance. And I'm just really surprised at how, engrossing it's been i've actually put quite a bit of time uh, into it over the last maybe two three days and if it wasn't for the xcom aspect i think i would have dropped it after like five minutes but that xcom part is really really well done um and, and for being on a phone it's not something that would cut it if it was on a console but i think this is a good example of something being exactly the right size and exactly the right complexity for the platform that it's on and i think that in terms of being an iphone game i think it's it's pretty good i think it's real good so I, I, I don't recall you playing very much mobile or iOS or anything. And I don't think you're a Walking Dead fan, Corey. Are you Are you either mobile, Walking Dead fan, anything? Uh, I'm not a Walking Dead fan. And I've played, I mean, we talked about it a few shows ago, but I played, I've played a good, generous handful of mobile games, but uh, not any like uh, XCOM-like or any like RPG-ish games, I don't think. So, okay, maybe this is not uh, striking your fancy. That's fine, though. I think it's a good a good title. Um, I don't often recommend iOS games, and I don't play a lot, but this one has really clicked with me, and I think that I would, uh, I would recommend it to people if you're looking for 
you know, a quick little time filler here and there. And if you like The Walking Dead uh, TV show, if you're a fan of that, I know a lot of people aren't and it's become kind of popular to bag on it. But I still am enjoying the show uh, and I think it's really good. So if this sounds like something that might be for you, I, I think it's a thumbs up so far. Just be prepared for the usual free to play stuff. Like I said, the timers, the cooldown, the different currencies like that's all there. It is it is unabashedly a free to play game. <laughs> But I think there's some value there. And I think just the core design is really good. I think I think it feels really good to run around and kill zombies XCOM style. So I, I dig it. I dig it. Um, looking at the clock here, I think we got some time. Corey, you've got something else. What else you got, man? I do, and I can make this quick because it's not really that time. Actually, it's like the most untimely game I probably have ever talked about or games, I should say. Um, so I bought the Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls. Um, they have like the double pack on PS4 because they redid those games for PlayStation 4. They were on. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they were on sale on the PSN. They're having like a ten years of download sale or some bullshit right now. So I bought them, and it was only like fifteen bucks for both of them packaged together, which I think is a phenomenal deal. Um, and I played both of them before. Like Heavy Rain came out in 2010. Uh, they're both by Quantic Dream, uh, both published by Sony Computer, whatever the hell they're called now, Entertainment America, Sony Computer, Interactive, whatever. I can't remember what they're called. Um, it's beside the point, though. Heavy Rain came out in 2010. Uh, Beyond first came out in 2013. And Heavy Rain, the year it came out, was my game of the year. I thought the game was phenomenal. I know it's not the most popular game in the world, and I know a lot of people uh, love to hate it. Kind of the same thing with Beyond. But uh, I played about two hours of Heavy Rain and maybe about the same amount of Beyond the other night. And, you know, I have to say, I still like them. And playing uh, some of Beyond right after some of Heavy Rain makes me realize how much more sophisticated Beyond Two Souls is, which I think it was easy to forget how sophisticated it was um two years or three years after playing heavy rain uh and the thing that i like about beyond two souls is because i feel like beyond two souls is probably the least popular of the two games um is the whole hook of beyond two souls is you play as ellen page is character her name's jody and she has like a kind of a ghost entity linked to her so for part of the game you play as her and it's very um you know telltale has kind of taken over this style of game lately where you just kind of walk around and you talk to people and you do like kind of like menial tasks and then you have quick time events for like the action segments but sometimes you play as her as uh Aiden, who's like the entity attached to her and if you play as him you can like go through walls and you can like really fuck with shit because nobody can see him except for her so you can like you know, knock stuff over, or you can, like, possess people and stuff, and I think the thing that kind of fascinates me about the game is the fact that I, if you hand any game to me that has kind of, like, a good or evil, uh, kind of like Dishonored, like I was talking about, like, you can either kill everybody or you can not kill everybody, I always pick the good path. Every time, at least on the first time through, it's very rare that I take, like, the spontaneous, explosive murder route the first time through. Um, but the cool thing about Beyond is that I kind of get to do both of them at the same time. Like, you can certainly be nice as Aiden, as, like, her ghost, but I kind of like to wreak havoc as him because I save, like, my nice stuff for the Ellen Page character. I try to make her, like, as nice as possible. And then whenever it gives me control of Aiden, I just like to kind of go crazy. Like, there's a segment where you play as her, as Ellen Page's character, when she's, like, 
15 or 16 and she goes to a birthday party with some of these people that she doesn't really know that well i don't even really know why she's there in the first place and like mid-birthday party they start making fun of her and they like lock her in a closet and they're being like a bunch of dicks well when you get out of the closet you can just like leave the house and that's it or you can take over the ghost character and like lock them in the kitchen and like hit them and like throw chairs at them and like light the stove on fire and the first time i played the game i didn't really go that far with like tormenting them but the second time i like lit the whole fucking house on fire because i was like all right these guys are dicks they've been making fun of ellen page the whole time and i will not stand for that so i was like throwing chairs at them and lighting the house on fire and nobody died or anything but it was still just like kind of cool because i get to play both sides i get to be nice and i get to be like kind of crazy at the same time which is not something i usually do end games and the other thing that's weird about beyond two souls is whenever it came out on playstation 3 one of the weird things about that game is that it's very vignette like like you just play little segments of ellen page's life and they were all mixed up like one scene you'd be playing as her when she's 30 one scene she was 12 one scene she was like six you know then she's 35 and the PlayStation 4 version has an option where you can play it in in chronological order. So you start when she's young and then you work up to the end. And I thought that would be a, an amazing idea because the first time I played it, I was like, this is so weird. It kind of seems like David Cage just had all the chapters of the game, just threw them up in the air and then picked them up and said, all right, this is the order we're going to do them in. Uh, so I, I had wanted to play it in chronological order at the time. But now that I'm playing it in chronological order, it seems, I mean, I like it, but it just doesn't seem it seems more vignette-like than maybe I would want it to be. Because even though it's going in chronological order, um, the, the segments don't necessarily lead into each other. Like in one, like you're, you know, 15 at the birthday party and then the next scene you're like 17 and like all of a sudden Ellen Page looks like a punk rocker and she's got like blue hair and she's like in her like super teen rebellious phase. So they don't really lead into each other. So I'm interested in seeing how I'll think about it as I finish it. But, uh, I mean, I have to say, I feel like people like to bag on both of these games because the voice acting is a little weird and heavy rain, and they're just kind of like, you know, not traditional games. They're, they're like interactive stories or whatever, if you will. Um, but I like both of them, and I think that they deserve to be played, and I'm glad that David Cage, even though he's kind of pretentious and doesn't really know how to tell a very good story, I'm glad that he exists in the video game space, and it makes me excited for Detroit, which is coming out later, because um, I'm really looking forward to Detroit, which is his next game, because uh, he's basically one of those people where Quantic Dream will always play their games no matter what they put out, and I'm glad that they exist in the game space, because they don't make games where you're just murdering people for six hours and the game is over. Like They're a lot different, and that makes me happy. Yeah, I mean, I think I would largely agree. I respect what they do, and I respect their approach. And honestly, I think they've been probably more influential than people want to give them credit for. Uh, I have played Heavy Rain. I also played... uh, What was the one that came before that? It was Fahrenheit, but it was also called... Indigo Prophecy. Indigo Prophecy. I played that one. I played a little bit of Beyond Souls, and it kind of bounced off of it. But I do do like what he's going for. I do. I kind of question how successful he's been. And I think that he's a a person who David Cage, I'm speaking about um, kind of gets ahead of himself and doesn't really nail certain things that he needs to nail. Like, I feel like if he took a little bit more care in what he was doing and focused on the game part a little bit more, I mean, I think these could genuinely be like real, real success stories, like real touchstones. 
Um, but he kind of just misses the mark a little bit. Um, I do want to talk about Heavy Rain, but before we get to that, let's talk about Beyond a little bit. I I played Beyond when it first came out, and I I really disliked the jumping around in time aspect. I found it really confusing. I found it hard to follow. I didn't have a lot of a connection to the main character, Ellen Page, or whatever she's called. And so I it just it kind of lost me. I got to one point where she was like homeless on the street and I'm like, Oh my God, like what's going on and why, what am I like? It was hard for me to figure out what my motivation was in each area because I didn't have the context. And I mean, you figure it out after a while, but it just didn't build up to anything for me. And it, it felt really difficult to get into. So uh, I did not buy it on this recent two for one, but I bought it a while ago on PS4 because I heard about the chronological change and that was one of the things that stood out to me the most was I felt like if it had been in chronological order, hopefully it would have made more sense or would have made it more palatable. So I haven't gone back to it yet, but I will go back to it. And I am interested to see because I've kind of been spoiled on it. I kind of know how it turns out, but I still want to go through it again for myself and just actually finish it this time. So we'll see how that goes. Although I will say uh, that is the worst birthday party that you ever go to. That is the party <laughs> of like pure fuckos and... It's going to get real ugly for those guys when I go back. Um, but I do want to, I do want to stick up for Heavy Rain though, because I remember having several discussions. It was a hot topic at the time. A couple of pretty good memes came out of that. It was a, it was a pretty bold game, and I think that in general, I think Heavy Rain is probably their most successful game. If you take the ending out of it, and I know, for me, that's really where the game fell apart. The ending kind of ruined it. It didn't make a lot of sense, and it kind of undercut a lot of things that happened before. But if you, if you put the ending aside and you look at Heavy Rain, and for those who don't know, it's a story about a serial killer who kidnaps a child and then the child's father is kind of like on the trail of the serial killer and he's got a limited amount of time to rescue his son. And so you're, you're spending a lot of time like doing some investigating, you're meeting people, you're kind of trying to figure out what happened to your little boy. And as a parent, I mean, it was really a gut punch in several scenes. There was parts where... I could really, really identify very strongly with what was going on on screen. And I feel like Heavy Rain is really successful on a scene by scene basis. Like if you look at a particular scene and look at what's going on, I feel like it really generates a lot of stress, a lot of tension. It really captures some parts of being a parent or just being a person really, really well. I don't think it holds up as well when you put them all together and especially not when you take the ending into consideration. But I think that game had a lot of really, really strong scenes. I mean, I can remember, you know, sweating a couple times just because it was so crazy what was happening. Or that one part in the mall that everybody makes fun of where it was uh, like push X to Jason or something was the big <laughs> meme that came out of that. Like, it's funny. It's funny now. But as a parent who's had a child in a mall, that is fucking scary. Like, if you lose sight of your child and it's just a crowd... I mean, thankfully, this never happened to me, but I've, I've been around parents where it has happened. And, I, you know, just the thought of it happening is really frightening. So I know it became kind of a joke, but it was really powerful. Like, it was really scary. So I think that that game is really successful, more successful than people give it credit for, especially in hindsight. And so I don't I'm not anti David Cage. I think he's kind of a big mouth and I think he's arrogant and I think he's got some wrong ideas, a lot of wrong ideas. But I think he's got some right ones, too. So it's really cool that this two pack is out, and for fifteen bucks is what you said. Yeah, it was like fifteen ninety nine. I don't know if it's still on sale or if it will be by the time the show goes up. But uh, yeah, it was fifteen ninety nine on PSN. That is a really good price for those two games, even as busted and flawed as they are, and how weird they are. And I mean, a lot of weird shit happens, and 
it's not like these are masterpieces by any means, but I think 15 bucks for those two games has experiences. I would definitely recommend that. I mean, just, you know, just to experience those things, just to learn them. If you haven't played them, I think it's worth it. So what do you think, Corey? Worth it? Oh, totally. And I mean, one thing I like about them too is they're games that are made like partially for people who don't play games. Like I could literally set my mom down with Beyond and she could probably play it with a PlayStation 4 controller because there it doesn't really take a whole lot to play them, which I mean, some people would be like, oh, then it's not a real game or whatever, and they can go like fuck themselves. But I, I like that they're not like every other game that I play. They're a lot different, and I appreciate that about them. Same, same, same. So, all right, dude, I'm looking at the clock. We are almost out of time, but as we say on the show all the time we constantly ask for thoughts feedback ideas etc etc and we got some today so i think maybe we're going to do a new segment if that's okay with you Corey. a little bit of q a no <laughs> no <laughs> vetoed no, sorry guys <laughs> no let's do it uh, I, I assume you're joking let's yeah, go yeah. ahead and read this question okay all right, all right uh we only got one question today but uh please feel free to send in more in the future this is from jim b underscore 85 good old jim bevan uh, from Twitter, and his question is, do you think The Last Guardian will live up to the expectations it's built over the years? Um, I have a thought in my head, but Corey, you go first. Uh, well, I guess first off, tell us what The Last Guardian is, if you know. The Last Guardian is... I'm going to try to explain this as best I can. It is the next game from Team Eco, and they made the game Eco, as you might guess by their name. They also made Shadow of the Colossus, and... Um, they're a Japanese studio, I think, that makes games that are kind of Zelda and storytelling and cartoon-like. Both games, Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, are very highly regarded. Although, I'm not going to speak my personal opinion about them, because I don't think they're that great, but it is what it is. Um, this is basically their next game, and it's been in development hell for like a million years, and I guess it's actually finally going to come out this year or early next year or something i don't even know the date for it um that's what it is how is that description brad pretty good pretty good uh i think it's coming out this december i believe so it's gone gold and it is a real thing um the only thing i will add to that is that for many years it disappeared and it was i mean it was like even more than development hell it was like it vanished for a while and people thought it was done but then every once in a while you get like a whisper and someone would say oh i saw it at um a private showing or oh i saw a new piece of concept art that was you know that just came out of the studio or like there'd be these little whispers over the last like i want to say it's like nine years eight or nine years or something like that and it's just people thought it was dead people thought it was really dead and gone and i think they were probably right to think that but there was just enough of a a little uh little tidbit here and there to kind of make people think that it might not be totally dead and then it was last year's e3 not that not 2016 but 2015 15 when they finally came out and said yes it is still alive it is real it was part of like the most magical e3 presentation ever which i think uh is probably one of my favorite presentations of all time uh so yeah it's finally it's finally a real thing it's finally coming um matter of fact i have a pre-order down on it so before i tell my opinion Corey, do you think the last guardian will live up to the expectations it has built over the last 37 and a half years <laughs> Um, I think The Last Guardian is going to be one of those games that if people are going to want to like it, then they're going to like it. And that's kind of going to be the end of it. Because, uh, I mean, I feel like if you 
have been really invested in its development cycle for the past 10 years or however long it's been in development, then you're probably going to end up liking it. I I don't think they're going to put something out that even their biggest fans are going to dislike. Um, And even like mainstream fans that just pick it up or rent it or whatever, I mean, they might like it, but I personally am not invested in the development studio or the games at all i probably won't even play it because i'm not really that interested in it um but i I mean it's probably going to be a critical success i mean they've had two games already that have been huge critical successes so i don't really see this game going wrong um but i mean who knows uh I mean, one the only thing that really worries me about it is the fact that it's been in development for so long that it skipped over the entire PlayStation 3 cycle. So developing a game from one console and then transitioning the development into a new console is probably not the smoothest thing to do. Um, that's the only thing I can think of that might, on like a technical level, make it be weird. But I also uh, I don't really know anything about game development, so I'm not sure. But what do you think? Um, well, to address Jim's question specifically, do I think The Last Guardian will live up to expectations? Um, I think that if you are familiar with Team Eco's work, and if you expect a third Team Eco game, I think it will live up to expectations. Uh, I think Fumito Ueda, who is the head of that studio, or who has been kind of you know behind all of these games, is a great uh, developer. I think he's got a great vision. I really like what he does. He, uh, I, I, I really enjoyed Eco, and I really enjoyed Shadow of the Colossus. I have, I have problems with them both. I don't think they're perfect, um, but I enjoy them both. I really like them a lot, and I think they are deserving of the critical acclaim that they've, they've gotten. And I'm expecting The Last Guardian to be. I mean, I don't mean this to sound kind of dismissive, but I'm expecting kind of more of the same. Like I expect a third iteration of the same kind of themes about connections, relationships. Um, you know, kind of like a hardship journey. Uh, loss is also a big theme. That's what I'm expecting. And so I think that's what he's going to deliver. Also, I do agree with you that the transition, it's been in development so long. I mean, I think it originally started development on PS2, if I'm not mistaken. And like you said, it skipped over the PS3 generation. I don't know how much technical work was being done or if it was just being kept on like minimum life support during that time. And now that it's on PS4, I mean, I, I heard from some people who got an early hands-on that's it's still very much under embargo but i heard a few whispers and the very first thing i heard was oh it looks like ass and it looks bad (laughs) which i mean like fuck you okay like i you have to expect that i mean number one the eco and and shadow of the colossus they they were straining on the hardware that they were on back then and they were not like i mean they had artistic direction but there were problems there were lots of technical problems they didn't play that smoothly so that's probably not going to change i i think it's a miracle that it's even still going to be coming out and i don't expect it to like take advantage of all the bells and whistles of the ps4 by any means i mean the fact that it runs and that it's still a thing is enough for me uh and i think it's really stupid for someone to say oh it looks bad like that's like the most fucking brain dead stupid comment that a person can say about a game like uh, graphics to me are not the most important thing when it comes to a game and certainly not when it comes to a team eco game so, I mean, just I'm putting that on the table. That's where I'm coming from. If you if you want shiny, maybe don't go to this game. There's lots of other games that put a lot of emphasis on shiny. I don't think it's going to be this one. So I'm just really happy that it's still a thing. I'm really happy it's coming out. I'm going to play it. I'm going to put up my own cash for it and get it day one. And I think it's going to be pretty much in line with the rest of his other games, the way it is games. If you're expecting more than that, I think you're going to be disappointed. I think if you're expecting Christ's Second Coming because it's been in development for so long, I think you're going to be disappointed. But I think that if you expect 
the next step past what he's already done, I do believe it will live up to expectations. And that's what I'm expecting. So there we go. Um, I don't think we had any more questions. Let me check Twitter real quick. No. Okay, we're good. That was our only question. But uh, for anybody else who's listening, please send us more questions or thoughts and comments. We'll read them here in the air. And I think, Corey, unless I'm mistaken, that's probably going to do it for us. You want to take it home, sir? Sure. Yeah, I think that's it. So uh, it looks like that's going to be it for this episode of the So Video Games Podcast. As always, thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening. Uh, And like Brad said, and like I said earlier, uh, send us your thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else uh, you want to talk about. You can reach us at sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. We're also on twitter at so video games and if you want to reach us personally my twitter handle is my first and last name Corey motley c-o-r-e-y-m-o-t-l-e-y brad what is your twitter handle you can reach me at brad galloway it's b-r-a-d-g-a-l-l-a-w-a-y all a's no o's <laughs> all a's no o's <laughs> well i think uh that's it so signing off for so video games uh Bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. And we will see you guys next week. Bye.